from KDNK Community Access Radio in Carbondale, Colorado in the United States. This is program number 15 of the Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. When blind people go places, we don't experience them like our sighted friends. We don't see beautiful mountains or romantic sunsets. The goal of this program is to identify and even create experiences that are more meaningful or just more fun for us and our sighted traveling companions. Frequently, as people lose their eyesight, they become more and more isolated. The tactile traveler hopes to empower people not only to go literally around the world, but around the block to new adventures in their lives. Blind ranges from people who are visually impaired and glasses and contact lenses no longer allow them to lead a normal life to people like me who are totally blind and to sighted parents who have a blind child to blind parents who have sighted children and people of all ages, interests, and physical abilities. On today's program, we'll examine the status of guide horses. Learn about an app that's making blind bus riders more independent in Kansas City. How to make voiceover stop talking when you don't want it to. And have dinner in the dark. Janet Burleson already had years of experience training horses when she and her husband rented horses to ride through Central Park in New York City in 1998 when she noticed something different about city horses compared to rural horses. That she was used to at her home in Cottrell, North Carolina. They stopped at intersections and knew when to safely cross Manhattan's busy streets. She combined her new information with something she'd seen at a horse show in the past. A blind woman riding a horse by giving it instructions and letting the horse follow them and avoid obstacles in the process. She wondered if miniature horses could use the same skills to guide blind people like guide dogs. So when she got home, she experimented with her family's miniature horse, Twinkles, which in many ways acted like a dog, following them around and riding in their minivan. She ultimately created the Guide Horse Foundation, training and placing guide horses similarly to guide dogs. They'll do everything a dog will do, but bark, and they'll mow your lawn. The advantage to a guide horse over a guide dog is that they'll live 30 to 40 years, surpassing the work life of a guide dog by three to four times. That reduces the emotional loss an owner experiences when their guide dog reaches its lifespan, and they lend themselves to people who are allergic to dogs or are afraid of dogs. Because of where their eyes are located on the side of their heads, 
They have a wider field of vision than dogs and excellent night vision. But their hearing isn't as good as dogs, which doesn't lend them to guiding blind people who are hard of hearing. Unfortunately, Janet Burleson was arrested for animal abuse in 2019 after 22 horses and a dog were found starved to death on her property. According to Wikipedia and WRAL Television News, she was sentenced to 15 months in prison and 24 months of probation, and as a condition of her probation, cannot own animals. Her lawyer told the court that she stopped caring for the animals in December after she got sick. She has had mental health problems after a car accident 16 years ago, and those memory losses caused her to leave the animals without any food or water. She was also ordered to get mental health treatment and was fined $800 and had to reimburse the cost of clearing the dead animals from her property. Even though the Guide Horse Foundation's website is still up, it appears to no longer be functioning. The phone numbers on it don't work, and the property has been sold. But her concept of using guide horses as guide animals is still a good one. I'm very happy having a guide horse. Uh, she, my guide horse, is extremely good at her job and extremely consistent. I I don't even need one hand to count the number of times that she has missed stopping at a curb or missed alerting me to any kind of hazard and working around it perfectly. She's, and the other thing about the guide horse is that I've been working with her now for 17 years and she continues to like her, love her job, work excellently, and learn new things all the time. And Evie, the very pleased owner of a guide horse who lives near Albany, New York. I just want to clarify that I did not get my horse through the Guide Horse Foundation. I only heard about uh, what they were doing, and I visited them to see what they were doing, but when I decided to use a guide horse, I uh, searched for and bought uh, a miniature horse privately, and I had her trained for me by a friend of mine who is a very experienced horse trainer and who has known me for a long time and watched me work with my guide dogs so she knew a lot about what I wanted in a guide animal. An innovator as far as introducing clicker training into the horse world. Anne doesn't think guide horses will replace guide dogs, but they do have a place in the guide animal world. I don't think a guide horse is for every blind person, and I think there are some limitations. But if a person is familiar with horses, loves working with them, and is bothered by the frequent need to change guide dogs, either 
because of their short lifespan or because of illness or working problems or other reasons why we have to retire guide dogs early, that a guide horse is a an option that they might want to consider. I don't think a person who lives in an urban area, uh, lives in an apartment where they don't have access to outside uh, a yard or, or you know, some uh, private space where they could keep a horse. I don't I don't see any way that it would really work out. Anne says her guide horse rides on escalators, elevators, buses, and in cabs. It's house-trained, but has to go out more often than dogs, about every two hours. It stays outside at night and has a little house in her backyard. She feeds it hay and oats, which is cheaper than dog food. Mona Rumoni, who lives in a suburb of Lansing, Michigan, also has a guide horse who has had a colt. They live inside her house. So we have a utility room in the house, and she and her daughter actually live in the utility room and can come in and go out when they please. And because we have a door to to go outside, and we have a door to come into the house. Those are dog doors. Guide horses can be as small as 55 pounds, 24 kilograms. Both Anne's and Mona's are much heavier. Anne's weighs 120 pounds, about 54 kilograms. Mona's is 170 pounds, about 62 kilograms. Mona has found some tricky ways to deal with her horse's frequent bathroom breaks when she's not at home. Obviously, they're potty trained because all service animals must be potty trained. No, I was just going to say that they're potty trained. So that you just give them the command when, for instance, when Callie lets me know that she needs to go. What I do, because I would rather not pick up after her, is I put a bag on her and I take her into a women's restroom, into a stall, and then I give her the the cue to go. And I'll just tell her to get busy and... Then she'll go into her bag, and then I flush it down the toilet. She does something similar on airplanes. Both Mona and Ange bought their miniature horses and found someone to train them. Unlike dogs, guide horses can lie down, but it isn't comfortable for them, and they can't curl up under seats, like in waiting rooms, offices, trains, planes, and buses. They usually stand between the seats, or in the aisles on buses, trains, and planes. They'll stand on the seats or between the seats in a car, or in the back of SUVs and hatchbacks. Mona's guide horse has had a baby. So she's trained as a guide horse. What happened was the regulations changed for travel with the horses. There was a guy that wants, he wants Willow, and he lives in the UK, And what ended up happening was because the legislation changed, I don't know how we would actually get her to him, right? Because you can't travel with a guide horse now. It's not, um, I don't know if you know about the legislation. Basically, the Air Carrier Access Act, they changed the ruling saying that horses were not considered 
an animal that you can travel with on the airlines. It's up to the airline to say yes or no. Mona is available to train guide horses, and she thinks there's a need for guide horse program similar to guide dog schools. Janet Burleson wrote the book Helping Hooves. Training miniature horses as guide animals for the blind. Unfortunately, it isn't available as an audiobook or talking book, but you can buy it from Amazon in paperback for $25.95. There were 16 books left in stock when I wrote this story. You're listening to The Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. Blind people using buses in Kansas City can be much more independent as a result of a new app. Jason Struther reports that it can be used to make blind people all over the world more independent. Robbie Mackinnon is president and CEO of the Kansas City Area Transportation Authority and is blind himself. He's really excited about a new way that Kansas City's blind and visually impaired can find their way around a 70-block stretch of the city. It is an app that we call Ride KC Navigator. Uh, We're one of the only ones in the nation that have made this available to an entire corridor, the Prospect Corridor in Kansas City. It's about 10 miles long. Mackinnon says the app gives very detailed directions. It will vibrate when you get close to your stop. When you get off the stop, it will tell you where the benches are. The system uses beacon technology. Beacons are Bluetooth transmitters about the size of a bottle cap. They can be placed just about anywhere and programmed to send out information to people accessing them on their cell phones. Mackinnon says the technology is pretty straightforward. We put beacons around the whole corridor on stops, on the top of stops, uh, so that it obviously the sensors are set to pick your phone up, whether it's an iPhone or an Android, and you can set it to whether you want it to tell you to turn left or go north, you know, based upon your preferences. And it is just unbelievable how effective it is. And I've been using it now and look forward to actually putting it on more of our corridors. You can place beacons anywhere you want transit riders to find information. The challenge is to determine what information to give to all those passengers. Kansas City got a little help from Alpha Point, a local rehabilitation and advocacy agency for people with visual disabilities. They came to us to help them with user interface. Reinhardt Mabry is the group's president and CEO. Most importantly, we provided a lot of the rich content that is used on that application so that when a person steps off the bus at a particular stop, they're going to get content that lets them know what's in the area surrounding that bus stop, how many steps are from point A to point B, what's on the corner, what's on the immediate opposite corner, restaurants or retail shops and the like. And so that content became the really, I think, a very valuable piece of the equation so that anyone who's using that application who goes to a stop that they're not familiar with they're immediately going to be given a rich amount of of information about, about their surroundings. 
Sighted transit riders can also use the app to find out what's near their destinations. But for passengers with low or no vision, RideKC Navigator helps them increase independence and lets them know what awaits them as soon as they step off the bus. Thank you, Jason. Cell phones are very important to us, but not all cell phones are created equal. iPhones have so many apps available for them and built-in features designed to help blind folks, plus free 24-hour phone accessibility tech support. I frequently tell people that if you don't have an iPhone, you're not allowed to go blind. We have rules. For example, they have two built-in digital assistants, Siri and VoiceOver. You can set up your phone, so Siri is the same voice for both apps. You can get a free app to tell you if your lights are on. An iPhone feature will help you find out where you're at when you can't see the maps on the phone. Siri, where am I? You're at 820 Blake of Glenwood Springs, Colorado. She'll even help you with dinner. Hey, Siri. Hi, Nick. Recipe for pheasant under glass. Okay, I found this on the web for recipe for pheasant under glass. Check making history. Pheasant under glass recipe. Master cook. September 2nd. But sometimes, voiceover can talk to you when you don't want her to. And she can become really irritating. We'd like to interview Sally Ut who reports from Corvallis, Oregon, who has a tip on how to make voiceover shut up, of course without hurting her feeling. The feature that makes voiceover talk is called a screen reader. When you touch your screen, she begins reading what's on it to you. Frequently, when your phone is in your pocket, purse, or backpack, and you move, the phone thinks you've touched it and it starts talking to you. It can be irritating. And if your phone goes directly to your hearing aids, it can be disorienting, which can even be dangerous if you're doing something like crossing a busy street and your life depends on hearing traffic sounds. But fortunately, there is an easy fix. All you need to do is double tap on your screen with two fingers and voiceover will stop speaking. Speech off. Double tap again with two fingers and she starts talking. Speech on. If you forget to turn Siri's voice back on, you'll know it because your phone will sound like this when you touch your screen. If that happens, just double tap on it with two fingers again. People are doing it in Paris, Bangkok, Singapore, Toronto, San Francisco, Jerusalem, and a growing number of cities around the world. Eating and dining in the dark restaurant, which have totally blacked out dining rooms. Cheryl Millett ate at one in Canada. So Onawar is in Toronto, and it actually is a restaurant that's uh, run by uh, people who have no sight. And they uh, took over this basement, and they, well, I think you have to book way, you have to book in advance and they have, uh, they've just done a brilliant job that so much so that when I went the first time, my daughter, who at the time was probably only about 12 at the time, 
wanted to go back there for her birthday and bring bring a handful of friends. So we, we did that. And that's where I was there the second time. This restaurant, they did they do such a great job that you go through a door and then you go through another door and you can't see a thing. You can't see. And typically there's a little bit of light. You have a little bit of light and at times, you know, things would... There is no light, uh, no light, not even inkling, nothing uh, that comes in from uh, the waiters, the servers, or anybody or anywhere. You are just in pitch black the whole time. So much so, I just felt it more comfortable to keep my eyes closed. But your your senses, and you know, for me, everybody's experience may be a little different. I chose to eat with my with my fingers. This particular restaurant isn't owned by people who are blind or visually impaired, but all of the servers are. So my first name is Jaren, J-A-R-E-N, last name F-E-N-G. I'm the owner of Omar Toronto. He said his blind servers make many accommodations for his sighted guests. They will hand in to the guests. Uh, they will give instructions about where to reach uh, the plate or the glasses. The food is cut in the bite-sized pieces and removed from the bones by the cooks. Food like chicken and steaks are served as cubes. Even desserts like cake are already cut in the slices. The servers are challenged even more than the guests. Since they can't write down orders, they have to memorize them from up to eight people sitting at their tables then dictate the orders to someone in the kitchen. When they serve the food, instead of placing it in front of each guest, they ask who ordered meat, seafood, vegetarian, or the surprise meal. And they don't refill things like rolls, water, or wine. Instead, they always bring newly filled plates and glasses. I'm sure lots of us won't jump at the chance to eat in a dining-in-the-dark restaurant, since we already do that at every meal. Oxford University's Charles Spence and Bettina Akaris Fitchman did some research on the blind taste test experience. The results are mixed. People go to these restaurants for the experience of tasting food they can't see and to possibly better understand what life is like for us. Blind people eating typical restaurant food aren't served in bite-sized pieces and food already removed from bones. The professors also questioned if food is better or worse if you can't see it. They did conclude that most people go for the novelty, and just once. Typically, when sighted folks do something like eating in the dark, because they aren't used to it, which can be scary, they don't experience it like we do. Because they aren't used to it and haven't developed the adapting skills that we use. Cheryl Millett did experience one thing just like we do. Do you know how big it is? No. And no, I have no idea. Why, it's my talking scale, reminding us that we'd like you to weigh in on how we're doing. 
please let us know by sending an email to the tactile traveler at gmail.com. We spell traveler the American way with one L. We'd also like to hear your story ideas from all over the world. Send us an email with story ideas in the subject line to the tactile traveler at gmail.com. If you'd like to help underwrite this program, please send us an email with underwriting in the subject line to the tactile traveler at gmail.com. Transcripts of this program are also available for our deaf listeners by searching the tactile traveler in any search engine. This program is also being broadcast on the Audio Information Network of Colorado and in additional states. It's also available by typing the tactile traveler into any search engine and available wherever you get podcasts and by asking your smart speaker to play the podcast, The Tactile Traveler. We'd like to thank the following organizations and people that help make this program possible. Be My Eyes, Microsoft Disability Tech Support, and Apple Accessibility Tech Support. Chris Mitchell, Lorraine Hutchinson, Cindy Baker, Havadine, Mike Vietti, Brock Weaver, Miriam Guizdala, Caitlin Limo, Robin Filippizak, Genevieve White, Sarah Williams, Sophia Williams, Debbie O'Leary, Lucas Turner, and Raleigh Burley. This has been The Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. This has been a production of KDNK Community Access Radio, Carbondale, Colorado.